Hey, thanks for joining me. Trust you're psyched to pick it up on Tuesday with that discussion from last week concerning uh, Kelvin and Two Kingdoms and South Africa and apartheid and wow, all sorts of crazy stuff. Stay with me. So, hey, uh, I'm not going to recap too much on what I said last time, just to kind of keep this in length. Uh, I want to try and keep it as punchy as possible. So just go check out that previous episode. It would have been the previous Tuesday. Hopefully I would have titled this something that is helpful for you to find the part one of it. Um, but just continuing on with what we said last time, basically just trying to work through a little bit of what Eust is saying in his dissertation that was... Um, it was uh, submitted to Stellenbosch University 2013. You can get it online if you, if you uh, Google uh, US. That is in uh, that's a J O O S T E um, Stellenbosch University Kelvin Two Kingdoms. That should bring it up. Um, I actually forgot to tell you that last week. So anyway, sorry to leave you hanging there. Hopefully you were able to find it if you were looking for it. Um, but that is um, oh actually I see the address right here. It's um, HTTP, um, that is, uh, forward slash, you know, the little web, web address. So just go www.scala.sun.ac.za and that'll take you to the, the, um, the Stellenbosch University thing. And I think you can probably search it from there as well. Anyway, so the bottom line is we're looking through this, uh, really great dissertation and, um, it's just a, a good, um, just case that, well, you know, application of Kelvin's doctrine of two kingdoms to what eventually uh, turned into uh, the South African situation. I'm actually probably said that wrong. Uh, the application of Kelvin's theology to what turned in the, into the South African situation. And, he, and he's arguing that we need to recover uh, the true Calvinist kind of legacy, which really leaned more to kingdoms than people would uh, normally admit, and that being the only hope uh, for a liberal democracy moving forward in South Africa post-apartheid, which you know I've already said I think is uh, spot on. Um, but anyway, so now we get to the interesting bit where he basically takes um, um, this this kind of hybrid of Luther and Galatius's. Uh, uh, two kingdom slash two sword doctrine, or, you know, technically I think Luther used two governments for the most part. So two governments and two swords and kind of blended it into what we talk about in, in Kelvin's two kingdom theology. Just go back to last time if you want some more info on that. Um, and uh, he said, all right, so what happens with that is that you have um, all sorts of people getting hold of this. And obviously, Kelvin's thinking becomes this cornerstone of thought in the in the Reformed tradition. Everyone just wants Kelvin on his uh, or her or their side, right? And uh, it was no different in um, in the early uh, stage of South African history with the Dutch Reformed Church. Uh, but it's very interesting. He gives a uh, a history of the way that the the Dutch Reformed Church kind of got started there. Obviously, you've got the the Dutch Huguenots getting uh, kicked off there, and, and just the colony and uh, Jan van Riebeek and just all the stuff that um, that would probably be familiar to you if you had done school in South Africa. You have to learn a lot of this stuff anyway. Um, and uh, he, you know, he gives some interesting like inside information, which I think most people who have thought about the South African situation would probably have surmised. 
um, if they have any inkling of the the situation uh, with with church history there. But uh, he just goes right into it and gives you the details and where everything all fits in. And um, he talks about you know the the uh, various branches of the Reformed Church. I'm not going to go into all of that. In ca- I mean, you know, obviously, you want to look at that. Go read the dissertation; it's great for all of that. But he um, he talks about basically the 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 Dutch thing being huge. Essentially, you know, that's going to follow on from that that wave of thinking that um, kind of found its. Uh, its epitome in Kuiper's sphere sovereignty and and uh, church state, uh, you know, I don't want to say blend, but you know the the Kuiperianism. Uh, he, he technically Kuiper kind of again thought of church and state as different things with their own spheres and and uh, authority and all of that. And um, you know, so Kuiper obviously worked it out in a very elaborate system. But the point there being again that you had a a very you know, just following on from what I was saying uh, last week, that that idea of of these two circles overlapping 100%. You've got a state church, essentially. You've got uh, everyone being thought of in some way uh, as part of this church, and then within that sphere, within that that uh, that state, you you had both the church and its. Um, you know, its duties and influences and authority. And then you had the state and its influences and authority and they work together and God is over them both. And, and, uh, the, the, the state is obviously very much concerned with upholding, um, the, 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 the right religion and, um, not giving too much allowance for any kind of freedom of religion or anything like that. And, um, and so all of that within uh, Kuiper's system, uh, and that that then just sort of moves forward. It gets its um, its influence right throughout the world. We know in the states as well, and you know there's all sorts of things we could say there. But um, you know, just having that strong Dutch legacy, and uh, just you know this all the way through to government um, pre-apartheid, um, they eventually took a, a, a version of Kuiper's natural law. Um, which had to do with the kind of uh, ordering of humanity under certain levels. And, and they, they basically ramped it up like a notch or 10. And then they took the sphere sovereignty idea, which again, I'm not going to go into too much detail now because that's what the whole dissertation is about. You can read that if you want. But they ended up with quite a messed up version, clearly from Kuiper's theology, but Kuiper himself didn't didn't approve. So, you know, that's a good uh, indicator that they went too far there. But they um, they then you know claimed that Kelvin was behind behind them the whole way. I mean they were just really applying what, what Kelvin was thinking via the the this whole uh, development of, of thought in Kuiper, and ended up with what we now know uh, was this real problem in apartheid and um, and uh, you know just just to the church's great shame that that was uh, the case and um, really. You know, as much as I hate to say it, I mean, it's it, it's kind of, uh, you know, whenever you, I mean, think about it, whenever you blend church and state, uh, whenever you go Christendom, and when I mean, again, blend church and state, I'm not saying that you necessarily have to think of church and state as one thing, but whenever you start thinking about Christendom 
and you start thinking about the people of God as Israel in a theocracy of some sort, uh, you're always going to end up in trouble. I mentioned Pope Boniface last time with the, you know, the the sword and and uh, the power being given to the church even over the magistrate, and then obviously you've got the Crusades and what a mess, you know, and the the great shame that comes upon the church when they all of a sudden are now into political power and advance and claiming to be, you know, uh, the the uh, you know God's army on the earth. Well, when you know just. Look at whenever that happens, it's always a total mess. South Africa being no exception in that sense, in that now all of a sudden, and he, and he relates this really well, he sort of goes right into the whole narrative that developed. They thought of themselves as Israel, um, and they were the special chosen people of God who needed to apply uh, the Mosaic Code in, in this particular um application or, or uh, setting so really you know much like um, you would see often the states talk about themselves as, as a christian nation and you know people blessed and set apart and all those sorts of things uh the puritan experiment has has a lot of parallels you know so nothing new in that sense it's just they took it that step further which everyone kind of shudders to think someone might do you know you just don't want to be going around killing the Amalekites when God has not told you to do that, right? And uh, that's always what's going to happen. So anyways, he relates this whole thing and ends up showing um, you've got you've got this really bizarre, um, out-of-proportion version of Kuiper's theology ruling the day and actually giving a precedent religiously for apartheid. Uh, to be fair, he's saying it didn't come out of religion directly, so the theology didn't didn't uh, bring the apartheid um, as we found it in history forward, but it supported it rather than than um, moved against it. So there were all sorts of colonial issues at play and uh, just plays for power and all the rest of it. Again, I'll leave you to read through the dissertation if you're interested. But the bottom line there being, instead of finding a break on the church and just the church using its prophetic voice to, to speak against the stuff, it actually provided a, a theology that, that the politicians, so to speak, could use and, uh, and uh, legislate um, to bring about the, 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 the thing that eventually um, came about, as we know it, looking back. Um, that we call apartheid, right? So you have that, and um, and the real debacle happening there. So he's going, listen, that's one kingdom, that's not two kingdom, and uh, that's a messed up form of one kingdom at that. Um, and so certainly we see two kingdom is the is the um, correcting influence there. But then he doubles down on the whole thing by showing even, you know, you've got guys like I really appreciate Bayes and Odia. I often talk about him. Um, these guys, they all, again, come from the Calvinist tradition, from the Reformed tradition. Bez Nadir was a Reformed minister. Obviously, uh, they're all pulling at that point from Bart and uh, Bonhoeffer and and uh, Barman and those guys uh, who, you know, were very instrumental in German theology and, and, uh, and wanted to reinterpret Kelvin uh, in a certain light there and were able through... Uh, just a call to the people to get involved and and militate against the struggle, uh, at least against the um, uh, the evil that was that was prevailing in government. Were able to do something about that situation. So Bayes Nodia being a classic example there, he takes all of this Bartian, Bonhoeffer sort of influenced Calvinism and says, right, we need some of this. 
And uh, and in her, I just don't want to take away from the the heroism. Yeah, I mean, in a heroic way, starts to move against the powers that that were at the time, and just pioneered a way forward that eventually just played a massive role in, in toppling over the 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 apartheid regime. But um, you know that along with uh, Alan Bussack and uh, all those guys. Um, again, from the Calvinist tradition, using morphing Calvinism into a kind of social gospel liberation theology, essentially is what it came down to, uh, which interestingly is, again, a one kingdom idea. It's, it's kind of like a liberal version of the same thing, ironically, as Yust points out. You know, all of a sudden now uh, you're thinking about the kingdom of God again, uh, you know, in terms of the year and now and in terms of a national political uh, identity, but you're thinking in terms of of the oppression and uh, uh, the, the the poverty and the crime and the you know anything that needs to be uh, <coughs> all the, those on the margins. You know, you need you you wanting to defend them and all those things that are again spoken of in a theocratic context in the Old Testament um, that called Israel to 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 certainly care care about those things. But but it misses the point that that was a theocratic one kingdom context and you can't just go ahead and apply it directly because to do so would be to make the same mistake that the crazy apartheid guys made. Um, it's essentially the same theological error. It's a one kingdom error. The one's just on this crazy conservative trip and the other one's on a liberal trip. So he brings that out really well in the, in the dissertation. And, um, he uh, he shows you know obviously everyone's uh, elated at the end of apartheid and the fact that they were able to do something about that, uh, but now the problem is that the only thing the only way forward for reform theology it feels like uh, for for those in that particular context is to embrace this kind of liberating reform theology as as he uh, defines it uh, or actually as done uh, John de Grouchy. De- uh, defines it and he's quite a big Calvinist scholar there uh, but you know again just totally on the liberal front um, and so he says listen you know and, and then of course you have that a massive negative impact on the church and that they're feeling and you see this I mean even in my small dealings with reformed churches there you see that you know anyone who cares has to almost embrace this liberal side um, because the other side, the conservative side, is seen as embracing the the uh, the Kelvin of apartheid, so to speak, where they want to embrace the Kelvin of, of um, you know, the Kelvin who who put the diaconate to care for the city, the Kelvin who you know was concerned with injustice and and uh, all of that kind of thing. Um, and he's going, okay, that's that's great, you know, it's it's better in some sense than than. Um, than the whole apartheid problem, but at the same time, it's it's really not the way forward, and it's going to ultimately lead in disillusion and liberalism. So it's not going to work. Number one, it's going to confuse things. Obviously, you always end up. We know from other areas of the world, you've got liberal gospel, social gospel. It's never going to go well. It's not going to be what the church needs. It's not going to be what the mission needs. It's not going to be that subversive influence that society needs as the the gospel goes forward. Um, what we need is uh, a healthy way to, to understand um, how to embrace a liberal democracy uh, and and how to really and truly be an influence for good um, without politicizing the church's uh, involvement. And so um, off he goes with, with um, a defense of two-kingdom uh, theology, which I'm behind all the way. And so... 
once again, you know, go ahead and read that because it is a great defense and he just tracks through a lot of what has been said by Van Drunen. But um, it's just a helpful summary of it all. So go read that dissertation or check it out or read bits of it if you're interested. Otherwise, I hope this was just helpful in placing some of that history in front of you. And uh, I'm interested in it uh, as the case study for for when we don't use two kingdom theology. And uh, I might bring this up together with some other like Alan Strange, for example, did a dissertation on Hodge and the spirituality of the church. So as soon as, soon as I finish reading that, I might just give you a quick update on that case study, which uh, is is also very, very interesting and um, obviously a little bit more foreign for me. Um, but uh, we'll have that on the lineup and, and I'll get back to you soon on that one. Um, bless you guys. Trust you having a good week and uh, we'll pick it up tomorrow.